A few months ago, I had the opportunity to visit with a minister who his work was focused on college ministry. And we had in mind at Piedmont Road down in Marietta, which is just a, a, a rather large suburb, I guess, of the Atlanta area. And we have down there a little over 300,000 people in the county. And we have a university there, um, Kennesaw State University, recently merged with uh, Southern Polytech, uh, you may have heard of. And those two schools combined created a student body population of north of 30,000. And so we thought, a couple of us thought, that it would be really good if we could have some kind of a college ministry uh, there because we really didn't have one. I mean, there, there are other college ministries, but uh, none really sound college ministries or ministries that were associated with the Churches of Christ, so far as I knew. And so we thought it would be a good idea to meet with someone that had some success in working in college ministry. And so we met with a fellow and had a, had a wonderful conversation uh, about what we might look for. And by the way, uh, I have a little interest in that here. Uh, you have a college in your backyard. I keep saying you. We. Forgive me, would you? I'm just getting started. We have a college in our backyard, Roanoke College. We, uh, we have uh, just north of 2,000 uh, folks at uh, that campus. I think there's 30-ish, 40-ish uh, maybe off campus, but most everybody is on campus. Over 2,000 souls. I'm interested in those souls as well, just as I'm interested in, in all of our souls, of course. Uh, so wouldn't it be great if we could make some connection in, in, that, um, in that arena, just as we do in our own neighborhoods. But anyway, so I'm meeting with this college minister, and uh, he keeps asking this question over and over again. It's a really good question. And the question he's asking is, what's your why? What is your why? I don't know if that's popping up or not. Nope, it's not. Let me try again. There we go. He keeps asking this question, what's your why? All right? So the question really is, what's your purpose? What is your, I mean, you, you and I understand, of course, that our purpose in having a college ministry is, and I've just identified it, we care about those souls. We want to reach out to those souls because we know that... Uh, that eternity is a reality, that heaven and hell are real, and so everyone's going to be in one of two places, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. And so wouldn't it be great if we could reach out to the people in, in that college community, the one that we were thinking about initially, couldn't we reach out to that college community and bring those souls to Jesus? That's our purpose. That is our why. There's a fellow by the name of John Gordon, and John Gordon... Um, he sends out weekly admonitions, words of encouragement, and he said this. He said, we don't get burned out because of what we do. We get burned out because we forget why we do it. So sometimes what happens is we, you know, we lose our focus as to why we are doing what we're doing. We're just kind of doing the same old thing. We're, we're, we're you know, checking the boxes off. You know, we're, we're just showing up because that's what we've always done, but we've forgotten why. Why do we come to worship? Well, because God told me to. Well, obviously, but there is something more to it than that. Why is it that we are kind to other people? Well, it's because what, that's what the Bible says we should. Well, that's great, but there's a benefit to that. Why is it that we are uh, servants in our community? Well, it's because that's what the Bible said. Well, that's right, but there's more to it than that. Listen to this. The purpose of life is a life of purpose, Robert Byrne. I think that's fantastic. 
And then finally, Thomas Apong said that purpose is life-changing. Find your why. What is your why? What is your purpose? What is God's purpose for you? Or does God even give you a why? Does God give you a purpose? I was talking to, the, to a Christian not too long ago, and we are talking about this concept of purpose. You know, people are talking about, well, my purpose, I believe my purpose is, and he said that's a bunch of foolishness. It's Calvinistic. You know, purpose, you have purpose? I said, that's not Calvinism. If I look in my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I'm constantly reading about individuals to whom God gave purpose. Well, does God give us purpose? Do you and I have a why? And I would express that we certainly do. We absolutely have a why. We absolutely have purpose. And I think that if you listen tonight, and we can share together, we're going to observe four areas of purpose that we have in common. Four passages. The first one's Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, Jeremiah was a, a prophet, of course, to uh, God's people uh, in Judah. Now, you remember how this thing worked, right? So God's people... They left Egyptian bondage. They're making their way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they're, they're told to go in, conquer the land. It's going to be your land. And, uh, and they do. And everything's going great. The kingdom is united, and they're enjoying the prosperity of the land. But after a period of time, they said, you know what? We want to be just like everybody else. Now, they didn't really say that, but that's what they wanted. We want to be just like everybody else. And so they would say things like, you know, God, give us a king. God would say, you don't need a king. God, give us a king. You don't need a king. Third time, God, give us a king. Well, here you go. And that ended up being a problem. And so the kingdoms united, but it did take long before it became divided. And in that divided kingdom, we find God's people constantly bowing down and giving in to the, to the, to the people around them. And they started following false prophets and idols, bowing down to idols. And as a result of that, God said, you know what, if you don't stop that foolishness, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy you. Uh, he, he doesn't mean that. You know what happened to the northern kingdom? The Assyrians came and conquered them. And then you've got Judah all by themselves. Sorry, and I missed... I'm not interested in talking to you right now, Siri. I'm preaching. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, Jeff, this might not work too well next time. Well, I was, I was telling Jeff, this is really cool. I can mirror this, but it might not work if Siri's going to interrupt my preaching. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, Judah is all by themselves, and, and uh, they started to do the same things that Israel was doing. And God said, uh, Judah, if, 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 you don't, if you don't pay attention to what happened to Israel, the same thing that happened to them is going to happen to you. And Judah said, I don't really think so. You know what? Judah continued following idolatry. And as a result of that, Judah was carried along into Babylonian captivity. Now, they went in three stages, one in 606, one in 597, and one in 586. And so they would experience uh, Babylonian captivity for a period of 70 years. And Jeremiah was a prophet that was raised to talk to the remnant that was left in, um, in Jerusalem. And then he would also send notes over to Babylon and try to encourage them. And and so what was happening was there were some false prophets in Babylon that were saying this, this captivity that you're experiencing is going to be short-lived and before you know it, you're going to be back in Jerusalem. And, and of course, that's not true. It was going to be a long time. It was going to be basically two generations. And so Jeremiah was writing a letter and he was writing the letter to combat those false prophets. But on the flip side, he was saying just, just hang in 
Because you are going to have the opportunity to come home. Your people, our people, you're going to come home. Trust me. And so Jeremiah 29 and verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. What is your purpose? May I submit to you that your purpose and my purpose is going home. Going home to heaven. That's what our purpose is. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now in that context, you'll find that expression rest, R-E-S-T, you'll find it used over and over and over again. And I find that interesting. Sometimes we want to we wanna take a rest while we're here. And how many of you, took, well don't raise your hand, but maybe you took a nap this afternoon. Maybe you did, and maybe you're proud about that, and, and that's fine. I didn't take a nap. That's, it's good to take a nap, but when it comes to our service of God, we don't take a break. We don't, we don't rest from our service. You were here this morning. We talked just a little bit about that, right? We work for the Lord now because one of these days we're going to rest with Him then. But right now we want to work. Our purpose is to work. Our purpose is to work in view of eternity to come. But second of all, is aggravating. You're not aggravating. This is, this is aggravating. <laughs> Second of all, Matthew 28 and verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit. So our purpose is, of course, heaven. But second of all, our purpose is to be mindful of the souls around us. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Our purpose is to share the message of Jesus Christ. I don't think we have any complainers in this room, but, but maybe you know a complainer, all right? And maybe the complainer that you know is a Christian. And that complainer that you know that's a Christian that wants to come and talk to you about maybe, um, you know, all of the negative stuff that's going on in their world or or maybe they want to talk about somebody else and they want to complain about somebody else and they come and start complaining to you about somebody else. How do you respond to them? Oh, you know what? You're absolutely right. That, that, that person, I, I can't believe, can you believe that way they behaved? Can you believe what they said to you? Can, can you believe what they did? Maybe that is your response. Or maybe your response is, hey, when's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? I've had people... <laughs> They want to complain about the craziest things. You know what? I can't believe they bought that color carpet. Can you believe they bought that color carpet for the church house? Can you, be- can you believe these pews? I mean, look at that. Can you believe that somebody would get this pew? I like these pews, by the way. But can you believe that somebody would pick this out? Can you believe that? Can you believe the paint color? I mean, couldn't they go with, like, Tennessee orange or something? That would be a whole lot better. Can you believe the paint color they went with in this auditorium? People will complain about anything and everything, won't they? They'll complain about paint color. They'll complain about carpet. They'll complain about people. When's the last time you talked to somebody about Jesus? That's what, we're, that's what our business is. That's what our purpose is. Our purpose is to shoot for heaven, right? And our purpose is to talk to people about Jesus. Matthew 5 and verse 13, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing to be, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. You and I... Did you know that our purpose is to be the salt of the earth? What does salt do? 
Last night, I'm trying to, trying to help us earn our keep at Boom on Poopaw's house, and so I fixed, ha- fixed hamburgers. I think they turned out pretty good, except for Boomalls. Boomalls, I don't think I cooked it quite good enough, but uh, she wasn't complaining about it. I was just looking at it, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I should have cooked that one a little bit more. I cooked it the way I like it. It's not well done. It's not even medium well. Not even medium, all right? but it's close. Anyway, so I'm cooking to sort of help earn my keep, earn our keep, if you will. And uh, you know what I put on the hamburger? Salt. What does salt do? It makes food more palatable. You and I, we're the salt of the earth. We try to make things more palatable for people. Our job is to make it more delightful for people to come to Jesus rather than make it more difficult for people to come to Jesus. I'm reminded of our responsibility as as parents, especially fathers. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but, contrast, Bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That expression haunts me. Provoke not your children to wrath. Sometimes I can be a fairly strong disciplinarian. What you'll learn from me is I'm very transparent. I can be a fairly strong disciplinarian at times. And I have to find the balance there because that strength comes out of a desire to, to raise my children in such a way that they want to go to heaven, and they'll go to heaven, right? And sometimes in doing that, we become maybe super strong as disciplinarians, but I have to find the balance there because I don't want to do anything that would cause them not to want to follow Jesus. So provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so, even in the, in the construct of the Christian home, we have to remember that we are to be salt, as we raise those kids, right? We're to be salt of the earth, salt in our community. But not only that, not only are you the salt of the earth, but you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men put, put the, uh, you know, the, under the candlestick, but it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's interesting to me. Let your light so shine before men. Did you know that passage does not say, go and shine your light? Did you catch that? Go shine your light. No, we've got enough people that are trying to show how good they are. It's not about going and shining your light. It's just about going, and as you're going, let your light shine. It's just natural. It's just who you are. You're so full of Christ that when people look at you, they don't even see you anymore. They see Christ. Isn't that biblical? In Philippians chapter 4, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And being found in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was and is God. When he came to the earth, he didn't come for people to see him, but he came to the earth for people to see his father. And that's what we should do. We should make it so that when people look at us, they really see Jesus. You're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And so what is our purpose? Well, our purpose is to go to heaven. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to bring people with us. Number three, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to do good stuff, really. 
It's just to do good stuff. It's to be servants. Have you heard it said before, get lost in a cause that is greater than yourself? That's a true statement. Sometimes we get so lost in our own selves, in our own cause, in our own desires, our own wants and wishes, and really that stuff doesn't matter that much. But we need to learn to get lost in a cause that is greater than who we are. Engage in somebody else's life. Maybe they have a struggle. Maybe they have a challenge. Get lost in their life with them. Encourage and strengthen them and build them up. And you know what that might do? It just might make you feel better about you. Just as a side. Galatians 6 and verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You and, and I, our job on this earth is to be little Christ's. Hey, that sounds weird, I know, but, but isn't, that, isn't that our job? Isn't it, isn't it our job to, as we said a moment ago, when people look at us, to no longer see us, but see the Jesus living within us? And so, so often we get, we get lost trying to fit in. Isn't that weird? Lost fitting in? But we do. We're trying to fit in with everybody around us. Rather than letting ourselves become more like Christ and being different. I've had the opportunity to travel a fair bit. And, you know, one of the things I've noticed in doing mission work, it doesn't matter where you go. I've had the opportunity to preach in, in Asia and Africa and South America and, and all kinds of places. And when you go into these places, they all have something in common. When you visit people in their homes... The religious folks, you go into these homes, and it doesn't matter if it's a home of wealth or it's a home of basically nothing. You look on the wall, and there's a picture of Jesus. But when you go into all of these different cultures, Jesus looks different. Did you know that? You go in, you go in one house, and there's, a, there's a, a white Jesus. You go in another house, and there's a black Jesus. You go in another house, and there's an Asian Jesus. And on and on. Why is that? I believe it's because we are trying to get Jesus to be conformed into our image. I don't believe that's a negative in this case. You see, what I think is happening is, I think that we put up these images of Jesus because these images of Jesus, depending on the culture that we're in, look like us. And we want to feel that connection, that physical connection, if you will, with Jesus. I get that. But there is another sense in what, what we do is this. We try to get Jesus to conform in our image in other ways. But that's not what Paul taught. Paul taught the exact opposite. I mentioned it this morning, just in passing, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Well, what happens sometimes is we try to conform or get God, Jesus, to conform to our image when really we are to be transformed into the image of God. And what does that look like in practicality? It looks like being a servant. For Jesus came not into this world to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So what's your purpose? Your purpose is to go to heaven. What's your purpose? Your purpose is to take people with you. What's your purpose? Serve your fellow man. Number four. In Micah 6 and verse 8, I love this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I love the account of Daniel and those, those wicked folks, they didn't like Daniel too much, did they? You remember what they, what they decided? They knew that the king had made a decree, and the king said that, if you bow down to anybody but me, I'm going to put you to death. Did you really mean that, O king? Oh, yeah, I meant that. Well, uh, the presidents and princes, they said, King i got to tell you, there's, there's this fellow by the name of Daniel, and he doesn't bow down to you. I mean, he honors you as king, but, but he bowed down to Jehovah. And you remember that decree you made? The decree said if you bow down to anybody else, you're gonna be, he's going to be put to death. And this guy bowed down, bows down to somebody else, so you've got to put him to death. You've got to follow your own rule. And it broke his heart. He loved Daniel. But Daniel was put in that lion's den. And Daniel was put in that lion's den because he only had one fault that was notable to these folks. One fault. What was the fault? He honored someone other than the king. What about you and me? When people look at us, can they see, can they see um, that big fault? Well, I mean, we all have faults. And some of our faults are bigger than others. But, but what about the, the big glaring fault as far as the world goes? When people look at you and when they look at me, can they see the fault of loving and honoring and serving and obeying God and that being who we are mostly? If you were, if you were arrested, you've heard this before probably, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there? Daniel was arrested, quote, for being a Christian. That was the fault that they could find. In Daniel 6 and verse 5, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What's our purpose well, our purpose, of course, is to, is to go to heaven. Our purpose is to try to take people with us. Our purpose is to try to, to serve others. Our purpose is to honor God above all. So what's your why? What's your purpose? If I could just put it in four words. The first word would be to stare. <laughs> Some of you have been staring at me all night. The first, the first word would be to stare. That's your purpose. 
Stare at heaven. Stare at heaven. Look into the there and then. We're not living for the here and now. We're living for the there and then. Keep your eyes focused on heaven. We sing the song, right? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Stare at heaven. Share. Share the good news. Share the gospel. My challenge for you from this lesson is this. What if you were to take out a piece of paper, or at the very least do this in your mind, and write down three names. Three names that you want to share the gospel with in 2020. Three names. Let's say there are 100 people here tonight. 100 people. And each one of us wrote down three names that we wanted to share the gospel with. Now, in reality, we might not be able to convert all three. But perhaps we could convert one. But let's say that there are a hundred of us in this room, for easy math, um, who are Christians. And we shared the gospel with three. One became a Christian. What would that do to the size of the congregation at Westside? It's not that hard. Really. It's not that. But what if, what if, what if? What if a hundred of us tried to convert three? We were only successful, 50% of us were successful in converting one. What would that do for us? If I remember the bulletin right from last week, I think by this time next year, that would put us at about 200. Can you imagine starting, maybe just north of that, can you imagine starting 2021, January 2021, with just north of 200 in this auditorium? Is that possible? You better believe it is. Now, Do you remember how you felt when you got out of the water, when you were baptized? Were you on fire? Don Humphreys wrote a book entitled Hearts on Fire, a Strategy for Dynamic Evangelism. Great book. The people that we reach out to, that we teach, that we convert, what if they did the same thing? And for easy math, let's go back to the 100 numbers. So 100 of us. Success, with the three that we reach out to, we're able to convert one. That's 200, right? What if of the 200, half of them were able to convert by that time, the middle of next year? We're at 250. So that's crazy. That's not crazy. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that the Lord added to the church day by day those who were being saved. Every day people were being added to the kingdom of God. It's not crazy. It's doable. We can do it. We can do it. (coughs) Stare. Share. And and care. And care. Perhaps, if I were to go back and redo this lesson, I might switch that around a little bit. And let folks know that we care. 
right? We care. Maybe that's, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the, the challenge that we have sometimes in bringing people to Jesus because we tell folks, I love you, I love you. But they can't tell that we care. Jesus had it figured out, didn't he? Well, these folks, before I'm able to share with them the gospel, before I can convert them, I've got to feed them. I've got to take care of their needs. Show people that they care. And then share. And then finally, dare. Dare to be different. As the old sermon goes that every preacher has probably preached, dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to be different. Don't try to be like everybody else. We don't need a whole lot of Neils in this world, trust me. Don't try to be like everybody else. You do you to the very best of your ability, which is a you that loves and honors Jesus and follows Jesus. Dare to be different. In 1933, Hitler took control of the concentration camps. This is just before the beginning of World War II. And in these concentration camps filled a lot of political purposes and they would put communists in there and they would put, um, they would put homosexuals in the concentration camps. Um, they would put Jews in the concentration camps. And by the mid-1930s, there were about 40,000 or so in these concentration camps. Well, by the beginning of World War II, that number had gone from about 40,000 down to about 7,500 in those concentration camps. But by the end of World War II, it had reached its peak, 750,000 in the concentration camps. And over the course of time, when all of these folks went through, there were approximately 3 million folks who died in the concentration camps. Auschwitz, of course, being one of the most popular, where about a million people died in the concentration camps. One of the folks that survived the, the Holocaust was a man by the name of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and neurologist, and he came up with a theory called logotheory. Um, that's where we get logotherapy from, and uh, it's something that I used in counseling all the time, and it's where we help a client understand what their purpose is. What is your purpose? One of the things I find in working with folks that are struggling with depression, especially, is that they, they don't have a sense of purpose. Why am I here? What's, what's my point? I see that in Christians, too. We, we're just like everybody else in the sense that we, too, can experience depression and anxiety and so forth. What's my purpose? If we can identify what our purpose is, what our why is, it helps to increase our life satisfaction. And so Viktor Frankl understood that. He developed that partly as a result of his experience in uh, the concentration camps. And he said this, Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. I thought that was a powerful statement. What's your why? What is your why? Well, if you listen to this lesson, you know. 
you know what your why is. You know what your purpose is. Can I take you back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in your mind? Would you just go there with your mind? You know, the, you know it. The Bible says that all authority, this is Jesus talking, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. All right? You've got that. Mark 16, 15, and 16. Again, just go there with me in your mind. You know the passage. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. What do those two passages tell us about purpose? It tells us that heaven is our purpose. Heaven is our why. It is. That's our why. That's why we're here. We're here because we want to go to heaven. I mean, we're here. We're in this room. We're here. We're here honoring God, honoring Jesus tonight because we want to go to heaven. That's your why. There's not a greater purpose than that. Now, there are little goals that we establish for ourselves uh, along the way, but our ultimate purpose, our goal, aim, is to go to heaven. Do you want to go? <laughs> I know you do. That's why you're here. You want to go to heaven. Uh, perhaps, however, in your desire to go to heaven, you found yourself a little bit derailed. I don't know what it is. Maybe you've been a bit derailed in, the, in, in losing sight of sharing the gospel message with others. And you know that. Maybe you've been a little bit derailed in, in um, um, honoring God in other ways, serving with humility. Maybe you've been a little bit derailed in losing sight of the purpose of being a servant. And so it's been more about what can you get as opposed to what can you give. Could I challenge you to rethink some of those things? I mean, this is, a, this is a brand new year, obviously, and so this is always a great time to reevaluate. Could, could I just encourage you to, to, to rethink some of those things? Maybe you are so committed, so dedicated to that idea of, of, of rethinking and then rededicating that, uh, that you want to say, folks, brethren, would you pray for me tonight? See, here's my opinion about the invitation. My opinion about the invitation that we do after every service, and I think it's a great idea, but sometimes we focus that invitation on getting people to come down the aisle so they can be baptized or so they can repent of some heinous sin that's going to cause them to lose their soul. That's right. We want people to come to Jesus to be baptized, to have their sins washed away. And we want folks that have wandered away from the Lord to come back and to get right. We want that. But I think we lose sight of the fact that and this is the best group therapy session that there is, right? We're here among Christians who think like us, who feel like us, experience life like us. And maybe tonight, what you want to do is you want to utilize the invitation. You want to come down one of these aisles and you want to say, look, I, in 2020, I have a desire to be a better servant. I have a desire to be a better soul winner. I have a desire just to, to let my light shine better, to be that salt, that leavening influence a little bit better. And I want everybody to pray for me. I want everybody to pray for me. Maybe that's you tonight. Or maybe 
maybe there's something going on in your world. I have no idea what it might be, but maybe there's something going on in your world tonight that's got you so challenged and you're struggling so much. You don't want to tell us exactly what it is, and that's all right. God knows. But you just want us to pray for you. Isn't that a great use of an occasion such as this, an invitation like this? Why don't you think about it? And if tonight's invitation is yours, would you make it so as we stand and as we sing this song to encourage us?